Well, I have a question for us this morning as we get started and continue our series in Proverbs as we're still early on here in Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, it's kind of a self-reflective question to think about as we're getting started here. Um, That is, do you take the book of Proverbs seriously? Um, And on the one hand, I know that you do. Um, I know that we all take the Bible seriously. Of course, we do here at our church. I know that throughout the week as we read and get into his word and do our quiet times, we know we do take it seriously. We we know it's God's word. Um, But I've found for me in the past, um, and I've heard from other people in the past, and and as I've thought about Proverbs before, um, it is this collection of sayings and wisdom, little one-liners, little nuggets of wisdom, and I think we're tempted to treat it like that, where, you know, if we get into a, a spot, we're like, oh, wait a minute, what should I do? I got, just got some money, I want to use it wisely. Let me just flip through Proverbs, find a nice proverb that has to do with that. Got it, I've got it, I've got that little nugget of wisdom. Um, and I think it can be used like that. We should go to the book of Proverbs to find wisdom on specific things. But I think we'll see in chapter 1 today, as we read through the beginning of this book, that Proverbs is asking to be read differently than that. Proverbs itself is telling us, read it more than that. Don't just come every once in a while and find a nice one-liner to fit whatever situation you're in, but instead meditate on this book. Read it often. Uh, try and seek out wisdom, not uh, every once in a while when, you, when you're in a, a spot, but always be seeking wisdom. Always be meditating on God's Word and trying to apply it. So we're going to get in here. We're starting in verse 8, and before we start right there, Just another brief note of of setup for this book. We've already had two sermons introducing the book of Proverbs, so I won't spend much time doing more of that. Um, But you might, somebody asked me, I think uh, my mom, I told her we were preaching through Proverbs. She's like, are you going to preach straight through the whole thing? Even all those little, just one, you know, one line verses through the middle. And we're not actually. When we get to chapter 10, that's where the Proverbs themselves start, the actual sayings, the actual one-line sayings. And when we get there, we're going to look at those Topically, we're going to put those together, pick out themes, and um, Luke's is going to go through and and find some of the themes that are in there. But before we get to chapter 10, there is actually a nine-chapter introduction to the book of Proverbs, where instead of just individual lines, they're they're actually trains of thought, they're discussions, they're pieces of advice that are longer than just one line, and it's this, um, it's a father giving advice to his son. And so for nine chapters, the book of Proverbs sets up How do we think about wisdom? What is wisdom? How should we be pursuing wisdom so that when we get to the Proverbs themselves, we're able to do it well, we're able to read them well? And so that's where we're at today, and for the next couple weeks, we'll be going straight through these first nine chapters. And specifically today, at the end of chapter one, we're introduced to two main characters that we're going to see over and over again in the prologue. First, the father. Um, Really, this whole prologue is a father speaking to his son, and over and over again, you're going to hear, like verse eight, it says, hear my son, your father's instruction. He's going to keep doing that every chapter. Hear my son this. Listen, son, to this. And that's what the whole prologue is. It's it's a father giving advice to his son. And we're going to see that first piece of advice today. But then we're going to get to verse 20, and we're going to see that wisdom herself is going to speak to us in the first person. Um, And that is another character that's going to show up throughout these first nine chapters of Proverbs is wisdom personified, lady wisdom, woman wisdom. So she introduces herself here. She'll come back later in chapters 8 and 9, and the Father will reference throughout this woman wisdom. Well, that's enough introduction. I think we kind of get the book of Proverbs. We've already done that for for two sermons. So we're going to jump right in in verse 8. And let's hear, let's read 
uh, starting in verse 8, the first piece of advice this father has for his son as he's writing this extended discourse. What does his father tell his son? Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. We're going to stop there for now and just kind of break down what the father's advice is for his son here. I mean, really, as we read Proverbs, Proverbs is one of, I think, the more popular books in the Old Testament, and partly it's because it is written to us. It's easier to apply it to our lives because it's written to us. It was written originally to the covenant people of Israel, um, the people who were a part of God's family, who were in his covenant. And we are now those people. If you're in Christ, you've been purchased by his blood. You are in this new covenant. You've been grafted in. You're in the family of God. So as we read this advice from a father to a son, we're reading the advice from our heavenly father to us as his covenant children. And so basically, to put it simply, what is the father's advice to the son? It is, listen to me, listen to wisdom, don't be enticed by sinners because that leads to death. Listen to wisdom, specifically listen to the wisdom that I, you know from me. Don't be enticed by sinners because if you follow them, that will lead to death. Pretty straightforward advice, but we're going to go ahead and walk through starting in verse 8. And look at these, the different parts of this and, and see how we can apply this in our lives today. Starting out with this call, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Implicit right there, right from the very beginning, from the first verse, is not just, the father's not just telling us, hey, make sure you listen to what I'm telling you. The father's saying, do what I've already told you. Make sure, don't just hear it and understand it. It's one thing to, you've heard your father's advice, you know it in your head, and that's it. Father's saying, no, 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 I've already told you the advice. Do it. Do the advice. Put it into action. Um, And I think when we look at these two words here, that'll become even clearer that that's what's happening here in verse 8. It says, hear your father's instruction. That word for instruction right there is the same word as uh, we use for discipline, like in chapter 3 where it tells us not to despise the Lord's discipline. The father's saying, hey, you did a wrong thing before. I told you it was the right thing to do. Listen to me. Don't just hear that, oh, that's a wrong thing and keep doing it but listen to the reproof of your father. Listen when your father disciplines you. And then again, on top of that, don't forsake your mother's teaching. That word teaching there in Hebrew, Torah. It's the law. Uh, he's saying, we raised you up well, son. We taught you the law, these, the Torah, the law of God you know right from wrong. So don't forsake it. It's not like I'm telling you anything new here in this advice, but you already know the law. Don't forsake the law. And then even on top of that, he says, follow these instructions. I've disciplined you. We've taught you well. We raised you up in the right way. You know the law. Don't just know it. Don't just do it. But in fact, wear it. Verse 9, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. 
this graceful garland here is a, it's a wreath. It's like, think of the Olympics. You get a, that wreath of, of leaves that you put on your head when you win, or they used to, I guess. Um, that's the same, that's what this garland is talking about here. This, this wisdom, this instruction from the Father, this law of God, this Torah, um, is something that we should wear victoriously. You wear that crown when you've won an event. It's not a, it's not a kingly crown, but it's a crown that says, I accomplished something. I have achieved victory in this particular thing. And in this case, when we wear the Father's advice like a garland, we are saying, hey, we have achieved this wisdom. We wear it proudly. We've gained knowledge. We've won. And then again, it's, he also tells us to wear it like a pendant around our neck, uh, which is just, it's jewelry, right? It's if you go out and you buy a nice necklace, you don't then just put that necklace away in a box and never wear it. You want to show the necklace off, and the necklace is beautiful and enhances your beauty And you're saying to the world, look, look at this beautiful wisdom that I have. I know the law of God. Don't be ashamed by the wisdom that is right. Don't be ashamed when you know what is right from wrong. But do it proudly. Wear it proudly. And so now the father gets into the actual advice itself. Verse 10, he sums it up. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then he's going to have two sections. First, he's going to tell the son, here's what sinners are, here's how they are going to entice you. He, if you're in the ESV, they put little quotes there after come with us. He's basically giving his son an example of what it might sound like when sinners approach him to entice him. He's warning him, hey, look out for this. And then he's going to tell him, after he's done with that, what are the results? What happens if you do follow after them? So we're going to start here in verse 11 with, what, is it, what does it sound like when sinners come to entice us? If they, the sinners, if they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We all have one purse. And so here the father warns his son, this is what they're going to say. Um, and really, it, it's, uh, it's not exactly what they're going to say because I don't think this would actually work on any of you guys. Hopefully not. If someone came up to you and said, hey, come on, we're going to go ambush this innocent person and just kill them and take all their money. That probably is not going to be very tempting to us. Okay, I'll pass. We don't, you know, don't need to kill innocent people. But what the father's doing, is he's peeling back the layers. He's saying when these sinners entice you to come with them, to go hang out with them and, and do whatever they're doing, underneath that, their desire, the ultimate thing that's happening is they're out for blood. They're out to shed blood. They're out to do evil. Specifically, these sinners, the way that they're tempting the son is that they're, they're in a group. It's not just one sinner who's like, hey man, come with me, we're going to have fun. Um, but it's a group of sinners. They're all like, join us, see, in verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. It's this, uh, it's this camaraderie, this community. Join in with us, we'll take care of you. You're going to be a part of our group and we'll, we'll, we'll look out for you. And then what are they actually after? They're after unjust gain. It tells us that in the very last verse of that section, verse 19. Um, But they're out to get money, to get stuff for themselves, this plunder to fill their house at all costs. At all costs, even at the cost of innocent blood shed. And so for us today, we have to think about how, what are the ways in which we're going to be enticed by sinners? What are the ways in which we're going to be tempted to join in with sinners and ultimately follow them instead of following wisdom and and the right things that we know? Um, I was trying to think of, of an example for, like, how we're tempted to get unjust gain from innocent people. Um, and I was having a hard time thinking of in what ways could somebody come up to me and be like, hey, come on, we're going to go get this money. And it's going to, you know, it's, it's not as obvious, I think, when people are trying to 
hurt innocent people and take all their stuff. But certainly in our world today, and always, we've, we have this very selfish attitude about us where we want what we want at the cost of others. We want to get whatever we want, and it's more important to us than what other people need or where we get it from. And I think ultimately the thing we're going to be most tempted by in this passage is this camaraderie, this community. It's, it's peer pressure, right? If there's a whole group of people saying, hey, man, we're, we're going out tonight. Come on, join us. You don't want to be the one guy who's left out, even though you know that they're sinners and that they're going to be getting into trouble. You, you just you want to go with them. But the Father's saying, don't do that. Look behind what they're saying. They're evil, and their intentions are evil, and they're only out for their own gain. So the father continues in verse 15. He's going to tell us, well, what happens, son? If you do follow these sinners, what's going to be the result? 15, he repeats his advice. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So ultimately, the Father says, if you join these sinners, if you are greedy for unjust gain, if you go with, along with the crowd and just go after your own desires and follow in with them, ultimately, it's going to take away your life. Ultimately, you're going to fall into this trap. And what's really incredible here is the Father points out to us, not only are these people sinners and explicitly evil in their actions, he says that in verse 11, he, he points out how evil they are. And then again in verse 16, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. But on top of that, they're also really stupid. They're unwise in these actions that they're taking as they're preparing to ambush innocent people. What they're actually doing is preparing to ambush themselves. When we act unwisely, when we do dumb things, we are setting ourselves up for failure. We are literally reading the instruction manual, putting together the trap, and then we're walking right into it. We're laying all these plans to do dumb things, and when we actually go through with the plans, we find out we've laid them for ourselves. We've ambushed ourselves. And so the father warns his son, not only are these sinners evil, they're stupid, don't set an ambush for yourself. When we act stupidly, when we act unwisely, we set ourselves up for failure. We set a trap for ourselves. I, I thought, this is kind of a silly example of this, but it's true nonetheless. Uh, earlier in May, Anna went out of town for a week. She went home to visit her sister who was graduating, and I was at home alone, and I was like, all right, here we go. I can, it's like I'm back in college. I'm going to stay up all night, play video games, eat junk food. What's, what could go wrong? I'm just going to have a party and just stay up super late every night. Uh, is that a necessarily sinful action to, to stay up late at night? No. Is it a stupid action? Definitely. Absolutely dumb thing to do. Um, and what happens when we do unwise things like that is we slowly lay this trap for ourselves to fall into sin. So I stayed up late that night. The next morning, I was grumpy. I was tired. I woke up late. I'm trying to get going fast. I go to sit down and do my quiet time. I try to read, and I'm falling asleep. I can't even keep my eyes open as I'm trying to read my Bible that morning. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll just try this later. I close it, and I, I get going because I'm running late. And there you can see already the walls of the trap are closing in. First, I was unwise. I stayed up late. Second, because I was unwise in the first place, more of the trap was late. I didn't read my Bible that morning. And then it's easy after that to fall into sin. It could be anything. I'm sure I sinned a, a ton that day. You know, you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, and you're screaming out in your car, and you're angry, and you're hateful towards them, and boom. That's it. You've fallen into your own trap. 
I think this is um, what Proverbs really has to offer us. Lucas mentioned this in his first sermon on Proverbs. There are a lot of things in life that are not inherently sinful, but are inherently unwise. And when you do those not necessarily sinful things that are stupid, they eventually lead you to fall into sin. The example he used and the one Proverbs uses often is adultery, right? You don't wake up one morning and commit adultery. It starts by doing an unwise thing. Maybe you go get lunch with somebody alone, whatever. You start spending more time with them. You're texting them more. All the time you're doing that, the trap is being laid. And then one day, boom, you commit adultery. How did I get here? I thought, what happened? You set a trap for yourself with foolishness and unwise actions. And just one more example in the vein of this passage. Um, There might be a group of people at work. They're saying, hey, man, we're all going to go out to the bar tonight. And you know that it's unwise for you to go there for whatever reason. could be a number of reasons. Um, But you know that it's probably not, it's not sinful, but it's not a very good idea for you to go to the bar. It would be a stupid decision, but you're, you're pressured into it. This group of people say, oh, come on, man, it's fine. We'll take, don't worry, we'll, we'll watch out for you. We won't let you drink too much, but whatever. And then you do the unwise thing, and, and you're in the car on the way there, and the trap is being laid, and you walk right into it. And so that is the, the advice that the father gives his son. He says, all right, son, listen to what I've told you. Um, you know what is right from wrong. We've taught you the law. So that when sinners come and entice you, when sinners come and try to get you to join in with their group, you don't do it. Because if you do it, ultimately, verse 19, it's going to take away your life. Um, You're going to set a trap for yourself, and you're going to fall right into it. Now, this, uh, hopefully this advice is not new to you. It's pretty straightforward. I I really hope that anybody who's been around the church... Uh, yeah, we're supposed to be wise. We're not supposed to sin. Don't be tempted by sinners. If you do, if you are tempted by sinners, you're going to fall into a trap. You're going you're gonna to die. You're going to fall into sin. Um, and so you're like, okay, got it. First piece of advice in Proverbs, I got it. And then wisdom comes in, verse 20. And she says, do you really have it? Do you really, do you really get it? Wisdom basically is going to come in. She's not going to say anything new. She's going to basically repeat what the Father has said, but she's going to ratchet up the intensity. She's going to turn it up to 11. She's going to say, hey, I know you know you're supposed to be seeking wisdom, but do it right now. Like, don't, don't wait to seek wisdom. You need to be following your father's advice now. Or you'll suffer the same consequences that the father has already laid out. So we're going to read now, starting in verse 20. Wisdom, all of a sudden, is speaking in the first person. She's crying out. And let's read what she has to add here to what the father has already told us. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. 
But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Well, before we get into the, the content of Wisdom's call here, just a brief note on who, who is Wisdom. What is All of a sudden there's this character speaking in the first person, this, this woman, Wisdom. Um, simply, she is the wisdom of God personified. If you took all the Proverbs, you took all the wisdom of Solomon, you took all of the wise things to do in the world, and you put them into a person, and that person could talk to you, that's wisdom, speaking in the first person. Also, um, within Christianity, all the way from, from the 100s AD, even, even less than 100 years after uh, Jesus had risen from the dead, people were equating the words of wisdom here with the words of Jesus. At the very least... Lady Wisdom is a type of Jesus Christ to come. She's a picture of the person who would be God's wisdom incarnate. When you read this, this wise person who, who, is, who speaks knowledgeably and knows things that no one else could know, that person came. That person came in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. But as Pastor Paul pointed out a few weeks ago when he, when he started us in Proverbs, you can also read these words of wisdom as the very words of Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God, and these words echo his words. As we read the words of wisdom in the Proverbs, we can hear Christ speaking to us. And so what does wisdom say? First it says, we learn that that wisdom in the first three verses here, she's crying aloud in the street, in the market, she's raising her voice, there's a noisy street, she's crying out, she's at the entrance of the city crying out. Basically wisdom, the picture here, she's like a, a street preacher, like fire and brimstone, she's down by the bean in Millennium Park with all the tourists like, hey, somebody listen to me. Somebody listen to me. It's going to be too late. At some point, you have to listen to me. And she's going to the busiest places trying to get anyone to listen. And all these people she's calling out to, she's calling out to in verse 22, the simple ones. Um, Lucas mentioned this in his first sermon. They're not simple, like simple living, like, you know, nice, but they're simple-minded. They're naive. They're gullible. They're, they're okay with not knowing that much and kind of being where they're at. Then you have the scoffers who are actively scoffing at wisdom. Wisdom's crying to them, and they're like, oh, shut up, wisdom. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. And then you have the fools who hate knowledge, and they are fools because they hate knowledge. If you hate knowledge, that makes you a fool. And so she's crying out to these people, and, and we see that she's been crying out for a long time. How long will you keep being simple? How long will you delight in scoffing? She continues to cry out. She continues to cry out. No one's listening to her. And so she says... The rest of her call to us is the consequences again. What are the consequences if you do answer her call? And what are the consequences if you don't answer her call? And she's going to spend most of the time on what's, what happens if you don't listen. She's been crying, she's been crying, she's been trying to get somebody to listen. What happens if you don't listen? That's starting in verse 24. She called, they refused to listen. She stretched out her hand, no one heeded. They ignored her counsel. They didn't listen to her reproof. In fact, the scoffer scoffed at her, laughed and mocked at her. And so when they all of a sudden find themselves in trouble, they've, they've spurned wisdom. Wisdom has tried to answer them and they've, they've spurned her. We don't want anything to do with her. And then these simples and scoffers and fools find themselves in trouble. They find themselves in some kind of disaster and calamity. You see there um, in 26 or 27, terror strikes you like a storm. Calamity comes like a whirlwind, distress and anguish. And basically these sinners realize, wait a minute, we need wisdom. Wait, wisdom, come back, come back. They're, they're flipping to the Proverbs frantically. Wait, 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 I need wisdom. Hold on, I, I, I'm in a mess now. Wisdom, wait, I, wanted, I do want to answer you. And what wisdom tells them is, nope, too late. I, I gave you the chance to, to find wisdom. I gave you the chance to answer my call. 
and it's too late. So they will, verse 28, they'll, they'll call upon wisdom, but she's not going to answer. They're going to seek her diligently. They're going to try hard to find wisdom. They're not going to find it because they hated knowledge. They didn't choose the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> they, they already had the chance to answer her counsel, and they didn't. And so they eat the fruit of their own way. They have their fill of their own devices. Remember that trap that they're setting with their actions? That's what they get. They walk into the trap. Wisdom doesn't take the trap away. They've already built the trap. All the screws are in. They're, they're in the trap. They get to stay in that. They get their fill of their own devices. And they're killed because they didn't listen. They turned away. And they were complacent. And I don't know about you guys, but this really strikes a kind of a harsh picture of wisdom, right? It's not like cuddly wisdom who, who is like, oh, it's okay, I'll give you some wisdom. It's fine. Uh, wisdom is not... It's, it's kind of a shocking picture of wisdom here. People have scoffed at her. She scoffs back. She, doesn't, it, she offered it, and it's too late. Wisdom is not something that you can just get in a moment. You can't find yourself in a situation and all of a sudden be like, oh, wait, now, oh, I'm stuck with this. Wait, hold on. I need wisdom. Proverbs. Find a proverb that fits. That's not how it works. Wisdom is something that you gain over time. Wisdom is something that you have to be consistently seeking. You can't just get wisdom in an instant when you need it. It's too late at that point. And so the application for us as Christians is that we need to be getting wisdom now. I hope you feel the urgency of, of, of this call from wisdom, this how long she's crying out and one day she won't answer. There's an urgency to wisdom. There's an urgency to reading Proverbs and to trying to figure out what is wise to do in life and what is foolish. If you're a Christian, it's not an urgency of... Um, salvation, you're saved, right? You're you're good to go. Jesus has saved you. He will bring you through to the end. Nothing can separate you from his love. But that doesn't mean you can't make foolish decisions along the way and fall into disaster, calamity, terror, and all the things listed here. Um, Anyone who is unwise is going to fall into calamity. If you do unwise things, it's going to lead to um, things you don't want to have in your life for the Christian or for the non-Christian. And so for Christians, we know where wisdom is. It's here. It's in God's word. And so we need to be seeking it. We need to be feeling the urgency of, of getting in scripture. We can't let a day pass without getting in scripture. What's gonna ha- what if we miss it? What if we need wisdom and we don't gain it that day? And to put it really practically, I think it's, it is very practical for our lives, right? Proverbs has a lot to say, for example, about parenting. Um, and here's what would happen if you either are seeking wisdom or are not seeking wisdom. Uh, you could just wait. You know, and, and then all of a sudden one day your kid gets in trouble, they do something, and you go to discipline them, and you're like, wait, wait, spouse, what, what do we do? And then you guys are arguing, you can't figure out what you're going to do to discipline this child, and it's too late at that point. You're in the mess, you go to Proverbs, what should we do? Wait, uh, there's a verse about that. You should have already known the verse before you got to that point. And so the urgency of wisdom is talk with your spouse right now. Make a plan for how you're going to discipline your kids. Make a plan for how you're going to raise them up in the right way so that it's not a scramble at the last second when one kid punches the other kid, but you know exactly what happens. You punch the kid, this is what happens. There's no argument. You're ready. You're prepared for when calamity strikes. Another example uh, would be money. Since there's a lot of talk about money in this passage, about this unjust gain, Proverbs talks about money a lot. Uh, If you aren't thinking wisely about what to do with your money right now, you're going to get down the road, car's going to break down, your water heater's going to explode out of nowhere, it's all going to hit you at once, and then you're like, oh, what do I do? Proverbs, help me. I need need help with my money. I don't know. I don't have enough money to make it work. It's too late. It's too late at that point. Uh, You have to plan ahead. You have to pray now. God, how should I use my money wisely? 
How much should I be saving? How much should I be giving? Proverbs, what does it have to say about money? It has a lot to say. You do that now, not after you're in trouble with money. If you're prepared now, then you don't have to, you're less worried about the calamity that strikes because it will strike. We're not, it's not that if you gain wisdom, all of a sudden you're going to be safe from calamity. Calamity is still going to happen. But when you get there, you're, you're prepared for it. You're not worried about it. You're not like, oh no, you have wisdom. There's another application of this, of this passage that is specifically for the non-Christian. Jesus himself echoes these words in John chapter 7 and 8. First he says uh, in John chapter 7, the Pharisees, they're, they're muttering these things about him. They're trying to arrest him. And Jesus says to them, I'll be with you a little while longer, and then I am going home to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Again in the next chapter, he repeats it. He's telling them, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not be in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. The Pharisees again are questioning him. They're trying to figure out this stuff. And so Jesus says to them again, I'm going away. You will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so as urgent of a matter as wisdom is, and it is urgent because you're either seeking wisdom or you're being foolish. There's no in-between. So it's urgent. Be seeking wisdom. There's a more urgent matter than that, and that's the matter of salvation. There will come a day when it'll be too late. There's a day when it's too late for wisdom, and then you have to suffer the consequences, and that is bad. But there's a much worse consequence if you wait too late for this call. Jesus has offered salvation. He died for our sins. He has made a way for you to be made right with God, for your sins to be wiped clean. But that offer is not forever. There's going to come a day where that offer is off the table. When Jesus returns, that's it. And you're going to seek him. Oh, wait, Jesus, but no, I do want to follow you. It's too late. So please, if you're in here this morning and you do not know and you do not follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't leave here without talking to somebody about it, trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Christ because you can have, uh, there is a day when it won't, there won't be time left. So don't wait any longer. If you're on the fence, oh, I don't know about Jesus, try, try, try and figure it out. Try and talk to somebody. Well, then wisdom just gives us two more verses that we haven't read yet. Two verses of what happens if you do answer wisdom. What happens if you do answer wisdom? We've kind of already hinted at it because you're, you know, if you seek wisdom, you're prepared for disaster, that type of thing. But wisdom's going to make it explicit to us. What happens if you do answer your call? The first little point where she says that is in verse 23. She tells us, "If, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And so basically, if wisdom says, hey, that's a dumb thing to do, don't do that, turn away from that, repent from that, and do the right thing, and you do that, all of a sudden, you're going you're to find wisdom. And not only are you going to find it, it's going to pour out to you. And th- this word pour out here is this idea of a bubbling up. It's a stream. It's imagine if you like hit a, you hit the ground and all of a sudden you, f- you find a stream and it's just bubbling, it's overflowing. When you start to find wisdom, you start to find more wisdom. When you seek wisdom, you continue to gain it and gain it. The more you seek it every day, you're trying to find wisdom, you're trying to live wisely, and you do find it. Remember in James chapter 1, James tells us, you you pray to the Father, ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. He'll give you wisdom. Wisdom wants you to have it. She's calling out because she wants you to be wise. And so when you do follow her, when you listen and do things that are wise, you you gain wisdom. It's 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 a snowball effect. More and more wisdom you keep finding. Not only do you find it and just know it in your head, but but she will make her words known to you also in verse 23. You understand the wisdom. Sometimes you can read through Proverbs and be really confused. What is that talking about? That's not that clear of a proverb. 
But the more you seek wisdom, the more you come to understand it, the more that wisdom makes sense, the more that God reveals to you how to be wise and how to live wisely. And then there's one more verse there, verse 33. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread of disaster. And so again, if you're a Christian, you're already at ease uh, because you know that you are safe in Christ. But the more you live wisely, the more you're at ease in this life, even on top of that, because you know that you're prepared for whatever calamity is going to strike. Notice it says, not without disaster, but without dread of disaster. Disasters will come, but you don't have to sit here and worry. You don't have to sit in your house every day and think, oh, how am I going to make ends meet? Oh, how am I going to, my kid's doing this. I have no idea what to do. You know, you, you, you don't have to sit there and worry about what calamity is going to strike next. You're without fear of that because you're wise. You have gained understanding and wisdom from the Lord. And so in this life, you know how to live rightly. You don't have to, every step you take, oh, what, is this going to mess me up if I do that wrong? You, you start to know the right way to do things. You start to be secure. Again, if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Christ, it's one thing to be wise and, and know you're going to be a little bit prepared if, if disaster does strike. But it's another thing to not be secure eternally. Jesus offers eternal security. It's more than this. It's no matter what happens in this life, you know that he's going to bring you through to the end. In fact, this is not even close to a promise of prosperity in this life. Um, Jesus tells us we have to pick up our cross. He tells us that tribulations will come. Um, it doesn't matter how wise you are, you're still going to face afflictions and turmoil in this life, but it's how you face them. It's with the knowledge and the confidence of, well, I'm secure in Christ, and I'm secure in the wisdom that I've gained from Christ. I know that I can deal with this situation. He's taught me how to do that. And so you can, this offer is available if you do not follow Christ, to be secure, to, to live in this life, not without problems, but without anxiety, without worry about how you're going to deal with those problems, because Christ has you secure. We've made it there to the end of, uh, of Proverbs chapter 1. And again, I hope that the, the advice itself is pretty straightforward. Listen to wisdom. Listen to the wisdom that your Father has given you. Seek out that wisdom. Don't seek out sinners. Don't be enticed when sinners come to get you because that is going to lead to destruction. But I hope you also feel now maybe the urgency of that call a little more. Um, you should be seeking wisdom every day. There's not, there's not really an in-between, right? Think about the, the, fool, the complacency of the fool destroys them in verse 32. You're either seeking wisdom or you're not seeking it. You're either meditating on God's word and trying to gain wisdom. You're either praying all the time trying to gain wisdom or you're not. And if you're not, then you're setting yourself up in a trap for failure. We need to go out of fear, and hopefully, again, this, this passage will help us to feel this sense of urgency. Every day of our lives, be asking God for wisdom, and he is faithful to give it to us. He wants to give us that wisdom, and we need to go and seek it before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage in your word. Um, a passage that can be a little, a little harsh-sounding that... that there comes a time when, when we run out of time to seek wisdom, that we should be seeking it now or else we're not going to be able to find it when we need it, God. I pray that you would impress on each one of us on our hearts this sense of urgency, the sense of urgency to be seeking you each and every day, to be trying to live wisely so that we don't live foolishly and fall into a trap. God, I pray as we continue in this series in Proverbs, you would give us wisdom, that we would find that overflowing fountain of wisdom 
that is from you, that is from your word, that as we learn more and more, it will bubble up and we would know those words. And I pray, God, that even as we're thinking about the urgency of all of this, we would know that we're, we're okay. We're okay. You're going to bring us through to the end and that as we seek you, we don't have to dread or fear what's coming in our future. But we can know that you're going to help us live wisely now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.